Listener Production. Okay, are we ready? Spaghetti and... <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet tones. Uh, hello, Gistners, and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find scintillating enough to share at a dinner party. <gasps> Ooh, I like that word, scintillating. It's a good one. Mm. Scintillating. Speaking of... sex, sexual. Mm, a little bit, yeah. There's a sensuality to it. Mm, well, it's your story today. Is it a sexual story? There's definitely sex in it, but I would not call it sexy at all. (laughs) (laughs) So did you just promise a scintillating story to tell at a dinner party and it's not? (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's go back and try that again, should we? We'll start it from the top. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing this week? Um, This week I'm telling the story of a very eccentric tech millionaire who made a huge Mm. fortune by inventing antivirus software in the 80s and he then went on to start up a small little cult and then a deadly extreme sport tour company and then he started up a gang that terrorised a city in Central America and over the years he was accused of murder and rape and fraud but he's still yet to face trial and in the time since all those allegations were made he's also managed to run for President of the United States twice. It's the story of John McAfee whose name you might know if you've ever heard of McAfee antivirus. Yeah, from the antivirus Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. And because he's a rich white male billionaire, mm-hmm. he can get away with a whole bunch of awful stuff. Literally getting away with murder, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. it's like the story of our times. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Um, all right. So shall we first do... Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. I see X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it. Breaking news. Oh, Shivers, F burgers. I'm at my sister's house and I meant to get Aya to record that. <gasps> oh. Maybe, oh, okay, maybe I'll get Aya to do it tonight. We can sub it in now. So if I remember to get Aya mm-hmm. to record it, it will go here. Okay. <laughs> maybe I did, maybe I didn't. We'll see. It's a madhouse here. My sister has five children. I can barely function right now. I'm so exhausted. So, oh my God, hilarious. <gasps> So my nephew, so you know my sister Rhiannon has mm. Alira, 17, Muhammad, mm-hmm. 7, Aya, mm. 3, and the twins are turning 2 in April. Mm. And uh, Muhammad had to get his adenoids out today, so they went to the hospital at like 6 a.m. So mm-hmm. Alira and I had to get Aya and the twins out of bed, breakfasted, nappies changed, dressed, lunches made, and off to daycare. <laughs> and it was, it was a scene, I tell you. It was a scene. <laughs> it was, it was. Okay, so the thing is, they can get to daycare at 9 a.m. And Alira and I were determined to get them out of the house as early as effing possible. So we mm. got them up. We were getting it happening. And Aya, um, I mean, Alira took care of Aya and she told me to do the twins. And when I opened their nappies, I understood why uh, that was my uh, job because it was... <laughs> It was like, I saw some things, man. I saw oh. some things. Oh. I'm, 
I wouldn't recommend it. It's um, it was intense the situation in both those nappies, and it's mm. a whole lot of you don't know what goes where, and there's just poo everywhere. It's just everywhere. So mm. that's what Alira and I did this morning, and now I'm sitting in Aya's room, as you can see. Mm. Uh, my three-year-old niece, and uh, we've got to go pick them up from daycare pretty much straight after we finish recording here. So mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 I don't know if um, I, I will ever have children. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> uh, you've been on that side lot. of the fence, and now you know that it just yeah. it's something you might want to question. Yeah, Jacob, it's a lot. I've been here since Sunday because I came over to Sydney to, um, I had to speak at a, I spoke at the New South Wales Child Protection Conference last week because mm-hmm. as a former foster kid, they often get, I'm the token person who goes and gives speeches at those things. Mm-hmm. And then I came here and um, yes, yeah, so I've been here since Sunday and it's now Wednesday and I'm just about ready to pack it all in. I don't know how my <laughs> sister does it every day. I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. It's like work experience for you. Uh, no, I, I, I will never have five. I mean, Rhiannon <laughs> just screwed up there. Well, screwed screwed too much there, I guess, literally. <laughs> like, because five is too many, especially two at once. The thing with the twins is, like, they fight so mm. much. They just fight and fight and fight and fight. And you have to give them everything the same. So you think, okay, as long as you both get the same thing, you both get a pink cup with water, you both get a blue bowl with an apple pieces in it, you both get this toy and it has to look exactly the same. And you think, okay, so if they have the same thing, they won't fight. No, mm. because then one of them wants both. <laughs> and so then it's like a fight for just twin supremacy you turn around and they literally bash each other. Like I'll turn around and one will be face pressed into the carpet while the other one's sitting on her head looking at me smiling like, look what I've done. <laughs> like I want to say there's an alpha twin and a beta twin, but they switch. You never know. Oh, right. Some yeah. like You never know which. So it's <laughs> woofed, kids. No thank you is the motto. <laughs> Kids, no thank you. No thank you. My goal is to get through my entire life and I've made it to 36 years without ever having to change a nappy. And Well, our best friends don't even trust you with looking after their cat. Can you please right. explain the situation you're in right now? Please explain I'm- your current situation. Uh, I'm (laughs) house sitting for one of our very good mutual friends and part of the deal was for me to be helping to look after her two cats while I'm here. Um, But then, God love her, at the last minute, Myra realised that um, that was maybe too much responsibility for me. So she's hired a professional to come around once a day to change the kitty litter and make sure the cats are fed and watered. So (laughs) So what are you doing? So you're not cat sitting. You're just saying. And technically she doesn't need you to house sit because someone's coming to feed the cats. So you've just Mm. got a nice place to stay for two weeks. (laughs) But I'm helping. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray. Like how I helped pack up my house in the last two days. (laughs) Go team. (laughs) We all did it together. I'm finally out of my Sydney apartment. I Mm. am a... I mean, I guess South Australian resident. I've changed all my addresses over. When I fly back to South Australia tomorrow, technically I'm flying home. Mm. And um, because of um, the border closure, 
I've mentioned last week that you and my sister have been doing all the packing for me of my Sydney apartment because I couldn't mm-hmm. get over. And then the borders opened, uh, you know, I pretty much came over a couple of days after the borders finally opened and I just kind of went to the apartment and did the final uh, <laughs> of packing. <laughs> and then I was like, hooray, I helped. <laughs> Yes, you thank guys you for your everything. contribution. I am um, eternally grateful because I swear to God, I was there for three days just kind of tying up all the loose ends and getting to doing the last of everything you guys couldn't get done and I was exhausted and I did mm. probably about not even a tenth of what you guys did. I did a half of a tenth. I did a fifth and I was <laughs> exhausted. Um, <laughs> but I handed over the keys yesterday and I was mm. very emotional Mm. I burst into tears at the real estate agent, <laughs> like a rando. Oh. Um, but do you want to know what I did in the apartment? I, mm, it was really cool. So, as you know, it was the apartment, the last place I lived with Tony, the last place mm. I ever saw Tony, our mm. best friend before he died back in mm-hmm. 2016. And so when I was there yesterday, just kind of uh, checking because the cleaners had been through. So it was that that point where it's just completely empty, and all you've got mm. to do is shut the door and go. Yep. And I thought, oh, I can't just shut the door and go. I've got to do something to say goodbye or I don't know what. And so I went down to the Marrickville Metro and I got a mini bottle of bird in hand <laughs> and I came back up to the apartment and I brought my iPad with me. Mm. And um, a lot of people don't know and a lot of people assume that I watch RuPaul's Drag Race because, of course, yeah. I would. And a lot of people mm. don't know that I've never watched it. And they get very perplexed when I tell them that I don't. So I just tell mm. people that I watch it because when you say you don't watch RuPaul's Drag Race, they give you a <laughs> half an hour explanation as to why you should be watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm like, I know, I know, I effing, no. Mm. The reason I've never watched RuPaul's Drag Race is because Tony loved it so, 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 so much. Mm. And he sort of went off to America to study for a bit and I promised I wouldn't, I hadn't watched it and I promised I would watch it with him. Like I was always like, we'll watch it together. And he really wanted us to watch it together. And we kept not sort of getting the chance. And then he died before we ever got the chance. So Mm. I sat in the apartment and I opened my little bottle of bird in hand. I'm going to cry. Oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I put on Season one, oh. episode one of RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh. <laughs> oh. And I finally watched it because <laughs> mm. I'd never watched it because I was waiting to watch it with him. Yeah. And so I sat in the apartment, the empty apartment, and I drank that little wine and I watched that. And it's deranged and ridiculous and I love it. And that was the first episode. So I can imagine it's only gotten even more deranged in the last however yeah. many years. Mm. <laughs> That was it. And then it finished and I got up and I left. Oh, my little that's really place. beautiful. <laughs> but had you told me you were planning to do that, I would have told you you really need to choose season six as your entry point and then work your way backwards <laughs> from there. <laughs> I know, but it just felt like the start was the, you know, I don't yeah, know. Just watch enough. the first one. Yeah. And then, um, and then I caught the bus into Newtown and handed over the keys and the second I walked in is my uh, property manager, Angela, who I've dealt with, for, you know, because I lived in that apartment for 10 years. And she mm. saw me and she went, no, I'm not taking the keys. I don't oh. want you to go. And I just went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
stood in the real estate office crying like a weirdo. Anyway, ah, oh. oh, oh, so that's <sighs> what I did. Ah, oh, okay, okay. Um, but it was lovely. I'm not it surprised like you feel f- emotional at all. I felt yeah. emotional leaving there. We've spent so many nights there having so much fun. I know. Mm. I know. It's been just, yeah, a main, and it's the longest, you know, with my childhood being so strange and effed, it's the longest I've ever lived in one place in my whole life, mm. 10 years in one place. It's, um, so yeah, it's just a lot. Just was a very, it was quite an emotional day yesterday. And then I came home to a house full of screaming children <laughs> and just <laughs> was sitting on the couch like this. <laughs> For those of you out in podcast land, I'm doing a face like I'm in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> She's been lobotomized. It really was just a very intense emotional day. But, mm. um, yeah, it was nice to just, you know, it's done now. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, now I'm over in um, SA with C-Bomb, with Caleb. Ooh, and speaking dooly. of which, that's our mm. next bit of breaking news. And he's not allowed to get mad at me because I just cried and it's been a tough week. <laughs> but I know that he doesn't want he doesn't want people to know this. But I have to tell you because <laughs> Jake has already lost. <laughs> okay, we've got some messages about this. Uh-huh. We've got some messages about this. So, Caleb, I didn't, I'm not just bringing this up randomly. The people are demanding to know. <laughs> so a few people have messaged and said, is your boyfriend Caleb Bond the same Caleb Bond who was a tiny five-year-old who was once a very popular guest on Rove Live back in the noughties? <laughs> Na- naughty, te- naughty teens? Noughties? I don't know when. Naughties. And I yes. and, and I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, it is him. So Caleb was quite a bit, he was a bit of an Adelaide personality when he was five years old. He appeared in a fashion show, fashion parade um, when he was a little kid. And when he was in this fashion parade, uh, local radio star Cozzy saw him and thought that he just had so much charisma and personality. So then they started getting Caleb on the radio when he was very little and he was very mm. funny. And so then Cozzy started this campaign to get him on Rove, which was mm. the biggest show we had back then of like mm. interviewing guests and stuff. And so Rove eventually got Caleb on and Caleb got flown to Melbourne from Adelaide as a little five-year-old mm. and he wore a little straw akubra Mm. And he sung a Slim Dusty song, I want to have, I'd love to have a beer with Duncan, except he changed it to, I'd love to have a beer with Roe V. <laughs> and um, <laughs> what I would say to people is a lot of people think that Kayla's young fogey thing is a put on. Like they think there's no way that accent is real. There's no way those mannerisms are real. There's no way that someone that young is genuinely that much embodying a grandpa. Mm. But when you watch him on Rove at five years old, mm. he's exactly the same person. Do you not agree? <laughs> yes. And I'd seen a short snippet. I think I'd actually only seen him sing in one of the mm. clips. Um, but then someone sent through a link that I had not seen before, which then took me to other clips that I had not seen before. Well, and- so when he did his first interview, 
Rove asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up and he mm. just very unexpectedly and very charmingly said, a real estate agent. And um, he, I think what people don't know is at the time his dad was, uh, his um, grandpa, sorry, was a very big deal um, real estate agent. So that's why mm. Caleb knew what it was and that's what he wanted to mm. be because he loved his grandpa. And Rove just thought it was so funny that this five-year-old kid said he wanted to be a real estate agent. So mm. then they got him back and Rove and um, Caleb did a little segment where they held an open house and tried to sell a house to a bunch of people and that <laughs> is where he is just so funny. <laughs> did you die watching it? I gagged. I was in tears. <laughs> I had to go back and watch it again because when I first saw the clip of him singing, I hadn't spent any time with him, so I didn't actually know, yeah. you know, what he was like in terms of vocal quality <laughs> and speech mannerisms and all that sort of stuff. And then watching it and it's just like watching a shrunken version of him today without the beard. <laughs> And a high-pitched yes. voice, but it's exactly him and it's just a scream. And I it <laughs> will is. have to post the link in the show notes Oh, for yeah, this week. we will. It, I'll put the link in the show notes because there's uh, one. There's a Junkie article, junkie.com, wrote a story about it a few years ago and they were like um, kind of being <laughs> dicks. They were like, uh, Rove may be responsible for Caleb Bond being, like, famous. <laughs> and, um, it's, it's quite a funny article. Yeah, so they've got both the videos in that. So I'll post a link to that article so everyone can go and watch, watch uh, Caleb when he was on Rove, when he was five Treat years old. yourself, everyone. <laughs> I promise it's you it's... very funny. It's worth the giggle. Mm. It's worth the giggle and definitely worth proof proving it to all of you that... The young fogey thing was just there from birth. Mm -hmm. It's just always <laughs> been part of him. He's an enigma. He's an anomaly. That's what I say. He's a human anomaly. Mm. Breaking news. Okay, this blew my mind. Mm. Did you know mm. on the show Neighbours, they live in Erinsborough mm. and it was called Erinsborough because it's an anagram of Neighbours. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's good, isn't it? Uh, obviously, I did not know. Um, clever. Clever. But, okay, so Erinsborough, obviously not a real place then? No, it's a made-up no. place name that but they Ramsey did. But Ramsey Street is real. Well, no, no Ramsey Street's just like what they called it. Okay, all right. Huh. Yeah. So anyway, for some reason, I cool? had in my head that people go to Ramsey Street as like a tourist destination. Well, where they film the outside of the houses is a real street, but it's not uh -huh. called Ramsey Street. Okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, because like you know, <laughs> otherwise, you wouldn't people know where it was, and that's a bit weird. And I don't know. For sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's cool. You know, once I was at um, the Northern Beaches where they film Home and Away yep. and when you're at the sort of main beach that you can drive to from Sydney and then you have to get on a ferry to go across to like the sort of beach where they film Home and Away and me and my friend were waiting to get on the ferry to go over to some beach and this woman was there with her kids and she told us um, they had planned a day out to go to the diner. Oh, no. Because <laughs> they thought it was a real place. No, it's not real, guys. Oh. They film at real outdoor locations, but the whole world is fictional. It's a fictional <laughs> show. All fictional, guys. 
We should do it. We should do it. Just the gist on how television works. <laughs> the magic of the silver screen. Yes. Um, so yes, you can go to Ramsey Street, but you're not going to bump into Carl and Susan, is what I'm saying. Okay, and you can go yes. to Palm Beach, but you're not going to see Alf calling people flaming mongrels. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Ooh, next. <gasps> Framing Britney Spears. Have oh, you watched, you watched it? it? No, I watched no, no. It. I'm. I'm keeping myself away until you do your episode. Oh, okay. So first of all, it is available in Australia. At first I didn't think it was because it was on Hulu and someone, or not someone, a bunch of people sent us on just the gist the YouTube link to it. And I was like, oh, if it's on YouTube, probably someone just did a dodgy upload and it's going to disappear. Mm. But then I went in and, and no, it's the official YouTube link to watch Framing Britney Spears in Australia. So you can watch it. Mm-hmm. It's... It's blowing people's minds, like, mm-hmm. on Twitter and Instagram. All the celebrities are, like, saying, I can't believe this, like, mm. hashtag free Britney, this is terrible, I can't believe how we've treated her. Because it's not just about how the conservatorship that she's stuck in is terrible, but it's also mm. just about how she was treated by the public and the media from the time she very first started, you know, at 15. Mm. But it's not the greatest documentary. Like, it's an okay documentary. I think the reason people are blown away by it is because they don't know a lot about the conservatorship and how Mm -hmm. Britney has basically been a quasi-prisoner for, like, more than 10 years. Like, she has no responsibility for herself. We've talked about it before. Like, she has no responsibility for herself as an adult. She's not allowed to make any decisions. Her Mm. father is her conservator. He decides, you know, who can visit her, who she can see, what medication she takes, what doctors she goes to, when and how she works, like, how she spends her money, everything. And I think a lot of people didn't understand just how strict this conservatorship is. And so just finding out that information has been a shock to people. But the documentary itself is like, meh, it's okay, it's good, but it's, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's a good documentary. I'm going to do an episode on Free Britney. So by all means, um, watch the documentary. But also if you want to wait to hear me talk about it, I'm like, (laughs) I guess do that. But um, they just, the thing that frustrated me about it the most is, they sort of go from, you know, the start of her life and the first part of her career when she was incredibly successful and talented and brilliant, but they don't really go into just how good she was and, like, just how capable she was and, like, the fact that, you know, she did... What was that movie she did, Crossroads, in which she was actually quite a good actress, I thought. She was very good in that, like, you know, solid. Mm. You have to be pretty smart to be able to act. Like, you... Mm. just there's a lot of stuff that they skipped over, like just the um, depth of her talent and mm. her skill. They don't go into it a lot. And I'm like, and so then when they go into where, you know, she um, starts having mental health problems and her dad forces this conservatorship, mm. you kind of don't, it doesn't feel like that much of a fall because you're like, mm. oh, well, she sort of was always a bit like B grade anyway. And it's mm. like, no, she was capable and brilliant and so good at what she did. Mm. And when you see that back then compared to her now and the stuff she puts on Instagram now where she seems just, she seems like 
a 12 year old in a 38 year old's body, which she didn't always seem like that. That's where Mm. it gets me. Cause everyone's like, well, obviously she needs a conservatorship. Look like she's like a child and it's like, Mm. but she wasn't always. So why what's changed? What's going on? Like what? Oh God. Allegedly medication. Does he have her on? Like what's happening? Why is she like this? It's, Mm. um, but then more drama happened. So the documentary came out. Everyone's been going nuts over it because they can't believe it. Mm. Her boyfriend, Sam Ashgari, who she's been with for five years, he posted for the very first time today anything that he's ever posted about her family or the situation. And he basically just said, Jamie is a dick. He's controlling her. I don't like it. He controls us. He's put obstacles in our way. He's tried to Mm. break us up. And we look forward to the day we can just move forward, having a normal life together without him involved. And then here's the dodgy thing. So you know how I told you, I think it was last week or the week before, that there's speculation that she doesn't run her own Instagram? Yep. So this documentary comes out. Her boyfriend posts this thing saying, like, you know, we hate it. It's Jamie. It's the worst. And then the only response from her has been today, Mm. like literally two hours ago, she posted on, well, Britney Spears' Instagram account posted Mm -hmm. a video of her performing Toxic on stage. And the caption is, can't believe this performance of Toxic is from three years ago. I'll always love being on stage, but I'm taking the time to learn and be a normal person. I love simply enjoying the basics of everyday life. Each person has their story and their take on other people's stories. We all have so many different bright, beautiful lives. Remember, no matter what we think we know about a person's life, it is nothing compared to the actual person living behind the lens. She did not write that. She did not write that. Oh, wow. She did not write that because oh, judging off what her boyfriend so said. Blatant. Yeah. And like she has openly said she wants to perform and the <gasps> only reason she's refusing to perform is because she's mm. using it as leverage to get her dad off the conservatorship. She's like, I'm not mm. going to perform. I'm not going to make him any money. Like I will not go on stage again until he's no longer mm. in charge of me. So mm-hmm. that is just blatant. Wow. To me, that absolutely proves that she is not running her own um, Instagram. Did you see the post the other day where she sort of said, this is it, this is what we've all been waiting for, it's happening this week, and sort of teasing like she was going to be like, the documentary's coming out, but instead she Mm. goes, the Super Bowl, and then goes on some sort of little weird rant. That felt very scripted. That felt very, like, intentional to sort of belittle the I don't know. Yeah, I think there's going to be some interesting stuff happening in the next week or so, I reckon, just Mm. fall out from it because it has blown everyone's minds. And also quite a few um, journalists and comedians are getting in a lot of trouble for footage that surfaced of them and how cruel they were to her and, and like, inappropriate things they asked her in interviews. Like, she was so slut-shamed when she was, Mm. like, 16 years old. Like, when Justin Timberlake released Crimea River... And basically yeah. everyone was like, Britney's a slut. She cheated mm. on him. And she was like 18. Yeah. And she's getting asked in interviews, like, what did you do? Who did you mm. like? Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, and like you say, she was at the top of her game. But once you've become a punchline, it's very difficult to come yeah. back from yeah. that. And so the public perception of her over the years has sort of gotten worse and worse and worse because she mm. has been the butt of a joke. 
And I mean, the fact, yes, it was hilarious and weird. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the episode mm. on Free Britney. But when she got married to that guy and it was, For you know, like it was a bizarre thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, she'd spent so much time being forced to say in the media that she wouldn't have sex until she was married. Yeah. Of course, she then is going to go and do something rash like that when, you know, there's been so much pressure on her to, if she's going to enter into a relationship, make sure that she's got a ring on her finger. But also just that, this is what they show in the docket. Justin told everyone that they had sex, even though they weren't oh, married. So oh. he was an arsehole. He was such a dirty creep. Justin Timberlake, like get mm. effed. Um, and just, yeah, so it was just, we really did her dirty. We did her mm. dirty. Like from what we did to her from when she was on the scene at 15 to now, it's like we are the reason she is how she is. It's awful, mm. awful, awful. So, yeah, definitely watch Framing Britney Spears and we will do a Just the Gist on Free Britney mm-hmm. ASAP soon. I'm going to um, hold out till then. Okay. <clears throat> Oh, the other thing I just wanted to talk about was um, did you see on Instagram <laughs> Kim Kardashian uh, put up a photo of this incredible landscape painting, just incredible, and said that her seven-year-old daughter North did it? No, And I everyone's didn't. just been like, lol, no, she did it. <laughs> like, oh, my God, go and look at it right now. <laughs> on the... Um, so, I guess her Insta. I don't follow her, so... Well, she's not private. Jeez. No, a lot of selfies putting on lipstick. She's got a filter on. Oh, Northwest (laughs) did not paint this. Oh, oh, come on. (laughs) She's seven. She's seven. Oh. (laughs) Like, it's okay. It is okay (laughs) for your kid to just paint like a kid. (gasps) And the funny thing is, See how they've got North, North has signed it in the corner in like kind of crude writing that's meant to look like a little kid wrote North. People have Mm. zoomed in on it and it's actually been, that's been photoshopped in. (laughs) 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 Like what what a bizarre thing. And all these people, (laughs) like, yeah, all these people have been like, Kim, North did not paint that. And she's doubled down. She's like, yes, she did. We hired this amazing art tutor and she's been working on it for two weeks. And like it's, I mean, and some people have said, look, if you've got enough money and a teacher to just sit with her all day, every day, then maybe she could have. But no, I don't think so. Like just let your kid paint a shit thing. Let your kid paint something like some stick figures and a turtle. Like, (laughs) She did not paint that. And then for Kim to keep going, it like there are many, many yeah, things she's on angry. here where she's really engaging um, with the haters. Yeah. Um, wow. She's angry okay. that people, and people aren't even like, they're not being mean or having a go. They're just, it's funny. People are just going, lol, Kim, North didn't paint that. And she's mm. taking it so personally, getting so angry. And I think it has so much to do with just the ego in that family, but also mm. the ego of Kanye West because they've made this big deal that North is like Kanye West's twin. He's like her little protege mm. and that she, like, I think they're desperate for her to be a creative genius. Right. And, like, and they just cannot be convinced that she isn't. And so they're mm. in this bubble where they all tell each other she's a genius and, and they tell her she's a genius and then they put something out to the world and the world's like, 
lol, we're not in your bubble. We're not pretending she's painted that <laughs> and that she's a genius. You're crazy. And then they just kind of can't handle getting the bubble burst. Mm. Rich people and their weird ego bubbles. Two things. Are they actually getting divorced? I heard a rumour about that, Kim and Kanye. Um, it's, look, it's looking very, very likely. Apparently he came to the mansion and removed his sneaker collection. Oh. So, oh, oh it's on. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> um, I think it's looking quite likely, you know. I mean, and I do feel sorry for her. Like what an awful position to be in, to have a partner who is quite clearly struggling with mental health stuff and mm. mental illness stuff and, like, you you know, you want to support them and you don't want to leave them, but also it looks like she has stuck by him and done as much. Like, you can only help someone as much as they want to help themselves and he doesn't seem interested in Mm. doing that. So at some point you've got to say, I love this person and I want to be there for them, but it's unhealthy for me. So I have to step away and I think that's probably the situation she's stuck in. So it'd be really, and particularly on an international stage where the second she leaves him, it'll be like, how can you abandon someone who clearly needs you? And it's like, yeah, but he's hurting me. So, Mm. I mean, it's like my mother. My mother is incredibly unwell and it could be argued that it's it it would be a lot more helpful for her to have me in her life but she's Mm. so cruel and abusive that I have to step away even if it would you know even if she needs my help I can't you got to think of yourself if someone's not willing to help themselves yeah so um obviously help people to a certain point, but then yeah. when it starts to just completely drain you, um, then neither of you are benefiting. No. Mm. I mean, and yeah, it just all comes down to someone needing and wanting and being willing to get well. Mm. And if they're not, then what can you do? And it, I mean, yeah. I don't know. This is all wild speculation. I don't know him. <laughs> I don't know Kanye West, if you can believe it. But um <laughs> It seems to me like he doesn't seem interested in getting help. Like he's spoken openly about not wanting to take medication for his bipolar because he feels like it affects his creativity. And Mm. you cannot have bipolar and not take your medication. You just can't. So, Mm. mm. Yeah, that is very irresponsible. (laughs) But anyway, let's laugh at the painting that North clearly didn't paint. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Um, so that's what I was going to say. There's a really good documentary, but I can't remember the name of it, which I'm annoyed at myself for. Um, it's about a little girl who sort of emerged onto the art scene as this painting prodigy. And she was like <gasps> four. I've seen that. Yeah. And her painting started selling for a couple of hundred bucks and then yes. a couple of thousand bucks and then hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and all these different experts were brought in to determine, is she painting it or is it her father painting it? And then giving her the credit for it. And then they like, set up that camera in the house to yeah. like prove that she, yeah. Oh, I've seen that. We should do just the gist on that. Yes. Um, we'll find Stop out the name and it. we'll put it Stop in the it away. notes. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think that's it. Except oh, it is not. What? Oh, is your exception going to be about us going to Toxtown and the fact that your sister is an artist? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. I forgot. You guys, I mm-hmm. got Botox for the first time. Yes, she did. I don't know if you can tell. It is already effing working and I, you just look fresh Mm. like you just look awake and fresh Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. okay so my sister uh her business is rhiannon.cosmeticnurse on instagram go and look her up 
finally I was able to get Botox because the borders have been closed. It was my first time. I was petrified because I'm not good with needles. Um, I did film the whole thing and I am going to put up a video, but honestly, I've been in this house with five children and I have not had a second to myself to edit together this video, but it's very mm. funny because I'm a baby and it, <laughs> anyway, it's very, it's going to be very funny, but I, okay, wait, I'm looking <gasps> to the camera right now. It just, oh my God. So mm -hmm. she, I got it around my crow's feet and um, in my forehead and in my frown line in between mm -hmm. my eyes. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to take about two weeks to kick in, but I got it done, what, what was it, about four days, five days ago? Yep. And it's already, I can't even believe it. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm addicted. Mm -hmm. And you, sir, who mm -hmm. have gone to the fanciest Botox people in New York, LA, etc. Went to Rhiannon and yep. you say she's an artist. Absolutely. Five stars. Yeah. She's, she's, she's very, good. very skilled. Because she's um, been training a long time. Like she knows her she is. Mm, yeah. Yes. I'm very impressed and very happy. And because, I mean, it had been over a year since I'd had my talks because like yeah. you say, I normally get it done in New York. And so I've sort of been grounded and I'd just gone all haggard throughout 2020. And so I feel like myself again, thanks to gorgeous Rhiannon. Yes. Um, it's, oh my God, I can't even at how much I love it. I will say mm. it does sting a little. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. No one told me. Like, I think Rhiannon didn't want me to be scared and Jacob didn't want me to be scared. Mm. But I'm not going to lie to you because I want to give you, like, a proper behind the scenes of what it's like. Like, I think I said to Rhiannon, look, I'm not a maths contestant style face filler Botox person, but I mm. am 34. And so I am looking at getting a few little jizzles of Botox mm -hmm. in some places. And I said, you know, I think it would be good for people to see that you can get Botox and stuff and just do it in a normal, subtle way. You, it doesn't have to be nothing or mass contestant. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I went in and I just got these little bits and yes, it does sting a little, but it's very quick because it's like, Ow, Oh, and then it's mm -hmm. done. And you're like, Oh, but yeah, I just can't, I effing love it. It's like my new lash extensions. It's my new non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. I've got to have it. So mm -hmm. I just, I've, I've spent this entire conversation looking at myself. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed. I'm looking at myself. I just love it so much. So it's just, this, I don't know how to explain it. Like she did it because I said, I don't want anything nutso. Like I'm not a nutso. I don't want to look frozen. Mm -hmm. And so she gave me the exact right amount. It's like you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you should look tired, but you don't. You just mm -hmm. look fresh. Mm -hmm. Just a sprinkling, just a sprinkling. Yeah, yeah. Sprinkling. So, yeah. I will, as soon as I'm away from all of these children and their poops and their screaming, um, put together the video that I made the day she gave me Botox. I actually held the phone. I had my eyes closed because I couldn't look, but I held the phone while she was doing it. So <laughs> I'll put a warning if you're weird about needles, but it's, you know. It's pretty funny because I'm a big baby. So, oh, I yeah. can't wait to see it because I promised you it didn't hurt and I knew it was going to. Yes, I know. And I said to Jacob <laughs> after, you're such a liar. That actually did hurt. And he was like, I know I wasn't going to be the one to tell you. It actually does quite hurt. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, if you guys want to go to her, she's already had a few listeners 
mm. uh, go see her. She's been treating quite a few JTG listeners. Um, um, she's Sydney based and she's the best. So go to Rhiannon.cosmetic nurse and book in with her. She's amazing. And the listeners mm-hmm. she's done have been very happy. She's said so. Mm-hmm. Huzzah. P.S. I love that you get to say that you just got a light sprinkling and she told you Jacob needed a lot, a lot. <laughs> and then when she saw me, she was like, we could do a little more. Yeah, we could we could up the dosage a little more. Well, <laughs> she is going to do your top up for free, though. She said, because um, she said she prefers to go subtle. She's like, it's good mm. to start subtle. And then if you want to top up, we'll do a free top up. But um, she mm. doesn't like to. But yes, no, she said you only needed a lot because you hadn't had it done in a year. That's all. That's all. She's very diplomatic. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So, got the tops. Love it. Obsessed. Um, I think that's it for breaking news. Do-do-do-do-do. And hopefully I remembered to get A to do that, but I'm not sure if I will because this is a madhouse. Okay, on to the story for the week. I can relax. All right, we've already been going for more than 40 minutes. <laughs> Yeehaw. All right, so jumping right in, mm-hmm. I'm going to call this one Watch Out for the Mac Attack. And like <laughs> I said, it's about Mr. John McAfee, who okay. refers to himself so very humbly as the god of computer security. Oh, he okay. is a hustler. He is a natural-born manipulator of individuals and of the media. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably should be dead from the amount of drugs that he's ingested over the years and the amount he drinks and smokes. But also, what's his age? I, I thought he was old. He's currently 76. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he should have faced prosecution properly. He should be in jail facing mm-hmm. a sentence. But he's a straight um, white millionaire. Exactly. So it is a story very much about white privilege. His entire life has been about extremes and Mm. he's just lived without limits his entire life because white straight male. Exactly. Now, if I was going to produce a documentary series about him, I would probably start the story in the middle at this sort of turning point that happened Mm -hmm. in 2012 when John was 67 years old. And at that point, he was living in Belize in Central Mm -hmm. America. Just to give you a visual, he has really big, bold, tribal-style tattoos on both of his shoulders. He has his hair dyed, so it's got patches of blonde and black kind of like leopard print, like Nicki Minaj made popular around that time. And he gets around in cargo shorts, wraparound sunnies, and no shirt but a gun holster over his shoulder. So All of those things are terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate when um, white dudes have tribal tattoos. Yeah. Oh, God, I know I've already mentioned it this episode, but it's like either go on maps or get lost. That's the only <laughs> thing you can do once you've done that. Ew. Yeah. Um, but he's confident in his look and he tries to own it. But if you can just sort of picture that yeah. and then... This day in 2012, he found out that the Belizean National Police were approaching his house and he knew that they were investigating the execution-style murder of his nearby neighbour and he knows that they're coming for him because he's the main suspect in the murder case. And so he does the most sensible thing that an innocent person would do. He digs a shallow ditch 
lies down in it in the feeder position, covers himself over with a cardboard box and just stays perfectly still for a few hours <laughs> praying that the cops leave uh- without finding him. <laughs> Do they find him? They don't find him. But in the Shut hours up. that he was lying there, I would really like to think that he took the opportunity to reflect on what it is that led him up to that point. I so, was literally about to say that is like the kind of hiding place a toddler does when they don't yeah. realise how to play hide and seek yet. <laughs> yes. But then the police didn't find him. So what does that say about the police? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> okay. <gasps> so he's in yeah. his ditch. <laughs> yes. Reflecting well, on he's- life. He'd be thinking about how he ended up in that mess. And if we were to flash back to 1987, that's kind of when he became globally famous, when um, he was representing McAfee Associates. To get to the point where he ended up being globally famous, like so many straight white men, he had sort of failed upward again and again and again. He'd been fired from nearly every single job he'd ever had. Um, Mm -hmm. He was fired for sleeping with an underage student when he was teaching at a college. He Uh was fired because he got arrested for buying marijuana on the way to work one day. He was fired for taking drugs on the job and going on a trip so badly that he just lost the power of speech completely. Mm -hmm. But then even though he'd keep getting fired, he'd keep getting more and more superior jobs just by lying about his skills and experiences Mm. on his resume and because he was also very good at charming people. He was Mm. naturally charismatic. Mm. Now, He was the first person in the Western world to recognise the potential risk of computer viruses. No one had heard about them. No one understood what they were. So he saw there was an opportunity for himself to educate the world about viruses Mm -hmm. and, more importantly, make them really scared of it and then present the solution. Yeah. So he kind of became the face of this global threat that we were all collectively facing called computer viruses. Mm. And um, I mean, I remember... Everyone had McAfee stuff. Yeah. And the earliest I remember was it came, it was a CD-ROM. Like you got, and Mm. you would put that into your computers. I feel like people, so many younger people will have no idea what I'm talking about, but too Mm. bad. Just you're young. So get it. And you'd put the CD into your CD-ROM and then you'd run some program and it'd just go, you are now protected from viruses. And you had no idea if it worked or not. It just, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay. And that CD costs like 150 bucks or something. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. But he'd convinced the world that they needed it. So it was one of those things. You knew you had to have it. Yeah, you didn't want to take the risk at all because he'd spent so much time. He was very savvy in the media telling everyone this is a huge threat. It could destroy your business. It could end up destroying your life if people hack your files. Um, And so he talked about how he selfishly dedicated himself to helping to protect the world from this threat. Mm -hmm. And like I said, natural born hustler, his first ever job, he was a door-to-door magazine subscription salesman. And his method was he would knock on the door and say, congratulations, you've got a free magazine subscription. I'd love to sign you up for it so that you can receive it. We'll just need to get a small monthly fee from you to help cover the cost of delivery, which Ah. then ultimately he would then get them to subscribe to additional magazine subscriptions because they'd got the free one. And he applied that same business model to McAfee, essentially, that the software was free, but mm. to keep it up to date, you had to keep yes. registering it every single year. I remember that. Yeah, you'd mm-hmm. like, yeah, you, you'd have to buy like 
some initial, like you get the initial CD-ROM or whatever, and then you'd have to pay to, because it's like, oh, well, that only protects Windows 95. Now mm. it's Windows 97. And you'd be like, like, oh my God. And you'd have to, and it's like, I just paid all the, for that one. Yep. Exactly. Oh, it's kind of cute. When he first started out, he actually had this little mini bus that was decked out with computers inside it. And he'd drive around to people's homes and businesses. And that was like his little paramedic unit that he'd come and show ah, up and actually physically like install doctor. everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the media loved that he'd do like cheesy photo shoots where he'd be wearing a stethoscope, taking the temperature of a sick computer that had an ice pack on its head and but a that's thermometer genius. sticking out of its disk drive. Yeah, he's... Branding was really phenomenal. And he was always on message. The sky is falling. Viruses will destroy your business. I can help you. Give me your money. So in the first year, he made $5 million. And then from there, the business just kept growing and growing and growing. And then in 1992, that's when he really hit the big time because he was telling everyone on Michelangelo's birthday, March 6th, the Michelangelo Mm. virus will destroy every computer in the world that does not Mm. have antivirus software. So that then gave everyone across the planet a deadline for when they needed to have software installed. And 70% of people said, well, I'm going to buy the software that that guy is telling me to buy. Um, and like so Y2K. They, it was yes. like when everyone, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. They figured it was better to not take the risk. I'll yeah. go ahead and make the investment. Um, and so, yeah, he then Why? cornered more than two thirds of the market. This is, this is just an aside, but was it like hackers had said, we have made a virus called the Michelangelo virus that we are going to unleash on his mm-hmm. birthday? Is that okay? That's right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. And then when the Michelangelo's birthday came and went and hardly any computers were actually affected and the ones that were affected weren't affected badly, a lot of he people say, then did say, was this a scam? But then did he you? could say, but, oh, but the only reason you weren't affected is because you bought the antivirus stuff. Exactly. So you, yes. can not, you can't prove a negative. You can't prove that this mm-hmm. wasn't the reason that it That's right. did nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yes. But yeah, people did start to think he's really the only one who's been talking about viruses and then he's making all this money out of protecting people from viruses. Is he, you know, exaggerating the threat? If you know, um, what were the big wigs saying about him at the time? Like people like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, were they like, shut up? Because sure, there are other people who are just as smart as him and understand computers just as much Mm. as he does. Mm. Like, were they like, He's lying or? No, I didn't see any commentary from anyone back then at the time. Definitely there's been lots of commentary since then about the fact that it's a very dated approach, the sort of software that he was creating. And, you know, for the last 20 years, I'd say since we hit after 2000, people have actually been trying to uninstall McAfee software from their computer because it does slow the system down significantly. I mean, I guess it was probably the kind of thing where Microsoft and Apple were just like, ugh, let him run his grift. What Mm. has it got to do with us? Like, Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So McAfee ran the company and they were basically printing money for the seven years that he was there. It was a very small business, really, in terms of the number of employees, only 20 people. But it was like a cult. They were so dedicated and devoted to him that they would sleep at work for Mm. nights in a row just to show how completely devoted they were to doing the best quality work that he would be happy with. So they were actually 
doing something then. Like they weren't, because I was going to say, I would love to know what's actually on the CD-ROM, like if it's just nothing or like mm. there's something on it that does something, like yes. at least. It has to basically understand what is the code in the virus and mm. the virus is basically being sent to destroy all the data in a system. So yeah. it needs to understand the code and then do something to counteract the code. Right. So and it does so, something. Exactly. He's not just selling you a, a CD that you put in and the only thing the CD does is bring up a thing that says protecting you from viruses yeah. and <laughs> that's it. Here yeah. reminds me of, you know that episode of The Office where... um. Creed decides he wants to be a blogger and right or one of the interns is like I don't think that guy should be blogging publicly so he just opens up a word document with a web address typed at the top and Creed thinks he's <laughs> blogging publicly on the internet <laughs> like I feel like if you're good at computers and it's the 80s where people have no concept of anything yet you could just yeah. sell them a CD-ROM that literally does nothing and but I mean it does something it does do something. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So these people were working very hard. Um, it wasn't a corporate culture at all, though. Mm. It was deeply misogynistic because obviously mostly men. Oh, um, in tech land? Really? Believe it or not, in Silicon Valley, they yeah. had an office-wide sex competition called the Little Foxes. Oh, yeah, I'm so, so surprised. Every day people would get um, points based on where in the office they'd had sex, what acts they had committed in what positions. Um, yeah. So very sort of toxic environment within mm. the office, but publicly John was always very sensible, very respectable, always suit and tie. He wrote the book about protecting yourself from viruses and was invited to speak at schools and graduation ceremonies, mm -hmm. but behind the scenes because everything was just so wild, the um, shareholders decided it was time to push him out. So they sent him on his way with what's estimated to be about $100 million to what? play with. Yeah. Yeah started buying up properties all over the USA. And then for the next six years from 94 to 2000, he kept mm. starting up a few different businesses. One of the more successful ones was called Tribal Voice and Tribal Voice made one of the first ever social media companies called Powwow. He lied to the public and said that Tribal Voice and Powwow were part of a Native American owned and operated business, which was just a blatant lie. Oh, because they're called Tribal Voice and Pow Wow. Okay, I understand. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, and said that they were inspired by the Native American notions of the golden thread that connects all of humanity, which all seems very strange. And he probably thought that he wasn't going to get caught. But the reason that he'd done this is because he had started to enter into his spiritual phase of life. Ah, so a little okay. bit like when Madonna discovered yoga and she had her ray of light. Her Kabbalah era. bracelet thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. So he'd started to embrace North American spiritualism and blending it in with Eastern spiritualism and then blending it with tech. Yeah. Um, and he kept that going for a little while and then he decided it was time to exit the business world altogether. And he built a compound in Colorado in 2000 and set up his own yoga and meditation academy. Mm -hmm. And he invited people who were curious souls to come and live with him and learn from him. And he was constantly surrounded by about 25 people. What? Who... So he was an expert just because oh, he yeah. built a yoga retreat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
he'd been practicing yoga for 18 years and decided this is my new calling. I'm going to establish myself as a guru. And they treated him like a guru, the people who lived there. Um, They would go to his classes and listen to his sermons every single day. They had to read all four of the books that he'd written about yoga and Mm. Hinduism again and again and again. And of course, they had to work on the property. So they were basically free labor to maintain the compound. Um, And they were his flock. This is why billionaires always need something to do. Like Mm -hmm. when you take their company away from them, you need to like give them some kind of fake thing to do. Like just give them some forms that they need to sign all the time or give them a fake office because (laughs) billionaires with nothing to do will start cold. They just swill. That's just just how their personalities work. Like keep them busy. Mm. Jeez. Yeah, idle hands with yes. a lot of money will ultimately lead to um, destructive cults. Yeah. A couple of years later, he was getting bored with the peace, love, meditation type of thing. So this is when he sort of created a side venture for himself, which was the extreme sports company that he yeah. established. He created a new type of extreme sport for adrenaline junkies called aero trekking which was basically like attaching a hang glider to a motorbike. This sounds so cartoonish and ridiculous. (laughs) You would drive as fast as you can go on the motorbike down the road until you achieve liftoff. And then you basically just glide along for as long as you can with a small motor on the back and just hope that there are no obstacles that come up that you're not going to be able to veer out of the way of. In other words, he got super stoned, came up with this idea, And he's a billionaire, so he could just do it. That's right. Another dangerous thing when it comes to bored billionaires. Mm -hmm. He bought up enough land, bought up enough of the equipment and started a new company called Sky Gypsies. And he hired his 22-year-old nephew to come and work for him. His nephew did not have a pilot's license. (laughs) Um, And it was kind of inevitable that his nephew, when he was taking one of their customers out on a trip, was going to crash into a Mm. rock wall. Did he die? He did, as did the customer, um, which obviously was terrible publicity for Sky Gypsies and for Aero Trekking. 22. Mm. That's young. And so, of course, then John was facing a lawsuit from the customer's family who Mm. died. And this point, we're getting into 2007. John actually had a few different lawsuits that were coming at him um, for a few different things that he was responsible for over the last few years. Mm. And um, the global financial crisis was just beginning to happen. Uh, And so he announced to the media, I'm done with the USA. I'm done with this yoga compound that I've set up for myself. People Mm -hmm. are taking advantage of me. And he announced that he was going to be moving to Central America for a complete Mm. life change. So he sold up all of his properties in Hawaii and Arizona and Colorado and started crying poor saying, I lost everything in the stock market crash. The only place that I can afford to live now is Central America. So I'm going to head there and just enjoy a simple life. And he did. So 2008, he moved to Belize and Mm -hmm. bought a house on the beach on an island called San Pedro, which is a really beautiful, lush, (laughs) tropical paradise. I love that losing everything to rich people means you can still buy a house on the beach in Belize. (laughs) (laughs) He lost everything. 
Except, oh, except I've only really. got a handful yeah. of millions of dollars yeah. left. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, touristy spot that's also very notorious for when people are on the run, like US citizens are on the uh, run yeah. and trying to hide from the authorities, they'll mm-hmm. go and hide out in San Pedro. Sure. As soon as he got there, he started spending his money in ways that were making the locals just fall in love with him. So he was donating equipment to the Coast Guard and uh, to the police yeah. and he set up a new ferry service for the community to use for free because he wanted to give back to this country that had accepted him. Mm-hmm. And he invigorated the economy by creating jobs, by setting up new businesses, making Mm. cigars and distributing coffee and stuff. So he, like, immediately became the saviour figure. Everyone knew John McAfee on the island. And they all could have lived happily ever after from that point onwards. But Mm. John started exploring Belize a little bit more, went on a river tour and discovered an area called Orange Walk, which is a very sort of wild, jungly kind of zone and decided that's where he wanted to be so that he could really begin to explore his human nature. He Mm. wanted to get out into the wilderness. So he bought a few acres of land. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get back to his roots. Yeah. And he hired about a hundred workers to come build this massive compound for him with more Mm. than a dozen houses on it and its own private road. And again, made the Orange Walk community also look up to him as this sort of Saviour mm. who was bringing all this money and all these drugs in. Yeah. Sorry, did I say drugs? Jobs. Money. Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to the drugs. Oh, drugs on the mind, Shaker. Oh, well, oh. that's actually the good little segue into okay. what he then told the world that he was doing. So yeah. he had this deep instinctive belief that the world's newest miracle drug was going to be found in that jungle in Belize. Yeah. So he told the media that the reason he'd moved to Orange Walk was because he was going to find a way to harness the pharmaceutical properties of the jungle plants Mm. that they were surrounded by. Right. Um, And his main goal was to come up with some sort of natural herbal antibiotic because- made sense. If you someone who's made their career fighting computer viruses, you could also then fight organic viruses. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not, um, against the idea that, you know, there are certainly plants in this world and natural resources in this world that could provide us with medications and stuff that we haven't figured out yet. But I don't think a billionaire dude taking drugs in the middle of a jungle by himself with no scientific testing or oversight is going to be the one to find them. No. Yeah. (laughs) He did hire an expert. So he got the whole idea of, um, you know, exploring and experimenting with these plants when he met a female microbiologist called Alison one day, just by chance, um, they were at the same resort, in the same restaurant, having lunch, got to talking. She was there on holiday. He came up with the business idea and said, look, why don't you leave your life in Boston behind? Come and live on my compound. I'll build a lab for you. We will find a miracle drug. And that was her dream job to have yeah. that level of autonomy and to have her own lab. And so yeah. she was excited and she said, yes, absolutely, I'll do yeah. it. And John was even more excited. So straight away, he started talking to the press about about mm-hmm. it and started telling them that they were actually making discoveries. When- I can't believe that this guy is not more famous, that he's not more of a Steve Jobs, 
mm. Elon Musk, Bill Gates ish figure. Because like I've mm. heard his, I've heard his name in that I know it's the virus software guy. But mm. all of this is nuts, and he's in the, he's going to the press all the time. Mm. Look, I'd never heard of him until a couple of months ago. My uncle was the one who said, you know what would be a really good topic for you? Have you ever heard yeah. of that guy who created the antivirus software? And I was like, I think I pronounced it McAfee at the time. Yeah, right. And he was like, yeah, yeah, him. Um, and then once I looked into it, I think he's much more well-known in the US, but okay. he's known for a lot of the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, and we'll really get to see what put him on the map. Okay. Once okay. we explain how it is that he ended up in that ditch. So, yeah, they'd barely even started doing any research and he started announcing that they were making these phenomenal findings and he was bringing the media in from the US so that they could do photo shoots of him and Alison holding up test tubes with food colouring in it. And yeah. <laughs> it was all very Elizabeth Holmes. The whole point yeah. was try to get investors to start giving them funding so that yeah. they can do more with it, which Alison didn't feel right about at all. But John was just like, this is how you build this a business. This is how it works. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. While all this was happening, he was getting more and more nervous. He'd always been a very naturally paranoid person, but he was starting to really feel unsettled living in a place like Belize because he was finding out more and more about what was going on in the nearby town called Carmelita, which was mm. mostly crime. Right. He already was feeling like he had a bit of a target on his chest because he was quite conspicuous for being the only white guy who lived in, you know, a significant yeah. radius and he was very wealthy. So he figured someone would want to try to kidnap or rob him at some point. So he started hiring week after week more and more and more security guards as mm -hmm. he felt instinctively the threat level rise for himself. Most of the guys that he hired had pretty extensive criminal records. Yeah. And everywhere he went, he would have 13 security guards surrounding ah. him. That was the level of paranoia. And all of them were wow. armed, of course. That's like how many the president has. Mm -hmm. That's yep. crazy. Well, that says a lot about how highly he thinks of himself. Yes. Um, feeding the paranoia were the harem of girls that he'd started collecting. Ah. Yeah. Very early on, he started collecting young girlfriends. And when I say young, I'm talking 16, 17 uh, years old. Why am I not surprised there's a mm -hmm. harem of teenage girls? Yeah. Yeah. And they all grew up in Carmelita. So they mm -hmm. were the ones that were telling him the horror stories about what went on there. And they were telling him what a major trading post it was for... um drugs going mm. through to Mexico. So it's like mafia um, stuff, cartel, cartel. Cartel, yes. Yeah, cartel exactly. stuff, yeah. And one of his girlfriends, a 16-year-old called Amy, um, she was the one that was really giving him all the horror stories and she was telling him specific things about plans that she'd overheard people making to kidnap and to rob and to kill him. Right. And so she sort of then became a real asset for him and he fell madly in love with her and trusted her implicitly, even though she herself once tried to kill him. She waited for him to fall asleep <laughs> one night and she went and found one of his many, many guns and she fired at him lying there in the bed and she just narrowly missed his head. The bullet went into the pillow. He's yeah. still 
deaf in the ear that she just narrowly missed with the bullet. She then went and just hid in the bathroom in shame, shaking and crying um, until he finally coaxed her out and um, they reconciled. He just punished her by taking away her phone and telling her (laughs) she wasn't allowed to watch TV until she learnt her lesson. (laughs) I mean, that's funny. But it's also gross that he yeah. punished her like you would punish a child yeah. because she is a child, you mm-hmm. dirty pervert, pedophile. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. But he just made up his own rules and so he decided the best solution would be he's just going to buy Amy her own house in Carmelita so she can keep spying on everyone and then he can sure. go and spend time with her there. Um, but plan. he's never going to fall asleep in her yeah. presence ever again. Smart plan. Good plan. Yeah. Yeah. So day by day, he was getting more and more and more paranoid. And then he decided that maybe what he ought to do to solve this problem is become a bit more proactive in preventing crime. Mm -hmm. So he started to sort of come up with these grand notions of himself being like the cowboy with the white hat who rode into town and decided to clean the place up and figured that his gang could do more than just protect him from threats as they emerge. They could actually go out, find the criminals and kick them out of town and establish some law and order. So he's built like he's building a private police force. Exactly, and he yeah. literally built a private police station which didn't <laughs> exist prior to that. Okay. And he yeah. bought all of those cops guns and armor and all the ammo that they would mm. need, even bought wow. them vehicles. He paid their wages himself and yeah. then he got a couple of the cops to come and live on his compound. That's in addition to his private security guards. And so he had this personal army that was running the entire district of Orange Walk. Um, He would tell the cops who to arrest based on tip-offs that he'd received. And the cops gave him all the info that they had. He introduced an 8pm curfew. Anyone who was found on the street after 8pm could be taken to jail or they were threatened with violence. I know. It just kept going to his head more and more and more as his sense of importance inflated. At this point, technically, all he's doing work-wise is attempting to, is is paying this woman to run the lab, attempting to come up with medicines from stuff in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So that's technically what he's contributing to society and doing day to day. And all of this is just to protect him from the <laughs> threats that he has perceived. And also what? he okay. says, he says he wanted to get rid of the criminal element in Carmelita because it was such a beautiful town and he wanted to sure. help them reestablish a better type of society. So basically most- like on paper, he's got this lab happening, but in reality he's just turned into a crazy like, like vigilante mm-hmm. king. Yep. Yes. He reached the point where he would actually personally pull people over in his car and inspect their vehicle with his security guards because he felt that he had that level of authority. The level of racism Mm. in that, in that you are just a white man from a Western country who can come in and just decide that you know best when it comes to law and order Mm -hmm. and you can just enact that. And also privilege because you have the money to do it. I'm sure misogyny because there's always misogyny in there. Just Mm -hmm. the audacity to Mm -hmm. go into another country and think you know better. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And it just kept <clears throat> escalating because no one intervened. Yeah. The government started to pay attention at some point, though, and it was almost too late that they did sort of go, hang on. So this guy's got this massive compound. He's set up his own personal army and there's something going on in a lab to do with <laughs> pharmaceuticals. And you expect us to believe that? Can we please come and have a look at what's happening on the premises? Yeah. Because they assumed what everyone in their right mind would assume. You're producing meth. Drugs. You're- yeah, it's drugs. Exactly. Yeah. John refused to let anyone come on the premises who was an outsider because he said he was just paranoid about corporate espionage. He thought that Bayer or GlaxoSmithKline or someone was sending spies to try to find the research that they've been doing on the plants. You can't just (laughs) refuse. This Mm. is like all those white people in the aftermath of the uh, run on the Capitol refusing to be arrested. They're like, you can't arrest me. And the police Mm. are like, yes, we can. You can't just say no. Like, you can't Mm. search my car. Yes, I can. You can't pull me off this plane. Yes, I can. (laughs) Like, it is just the absolute unbelievable privilege of people who have never felt like, who have always felt like police are there to protect them and not prosecute them. Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. Wow. Imagine the uh, police coming and knocking on your door and saying, we need to search your house and you saying no. Yeah. Sorry, the law doesn't apply to me. I'm yeah. white. Yeah. Yeah, I'm white. That's no. So I, I don't, have you noticed? You're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Mm. Wow. But okay. He's been able to make up his own rules for so yeah. long. He just keeps doing it and his rules just sort of get more and more and more ludicrous. Mm. By the way, I will just point out, he claims to have been sober since 1983, but there is a lot of evidence to indicate that that is just a brazen lie. Every single thing that he's done that you've told me since we started is a sign of a man on drugs. So (laughs) please, come on. He's he's (sighs) off his rocker on drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can imagine how freaked out Alison would be at this point, the microbiologist. Yeah. Oh, She'd the be poor what have I got myself into? She just wants to be there doing science. Mm. And she felt really uneasy about the fact that she was lying to the media and lying to investors. She wasn't making breakthroughs at all. She was living with this madman who was talking about his plans to take over the entire country of Belize because he felt he'd done so much good just in the Orange Walk district. Mm-hmm. She was constantly surrounded by armed guards and these feral dogs that were incredibly aggressive. And then John always had one or two of his girlfriends dripping off him as well. So she finally said, that's it. I can't take it. I'm sorry. I have to go home. Yeah. So she says that when she resigned, he tried to comfort her because she was quite upset when she was doing it. She said she had a headache. He went and got her two tablets and some orange juice. She took the tablets, drank the orange juice. It tasted funny. She passed out. Mm -hmm. When she came to, she could tell, well, she was stripped naked. Yeah. um, And she could tell that she had been raped overnight. Yeah. Um, People always say, how do you know? And it's like, I don't know if it's the same for guys, but when you're a girl, you you can tell when you've had sex. mm. Like, you can tell when there's been something in you. Mm. So, like... It's so bizarre to me when people say, well, if you blacked out and woke up in the morning, how do you know what happened? It's like, you know, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was naked in a stranger's bed and she could tell that she'd been drugged and she could still feel the effects of the drug as well. She confronted him 
and he denied doing any of those things. And so then she tried to calmly say, okay, I just have to go. That's when he went completely apeshit and started threatening her with a gun. And so she ran to the lab, locked herself in there. She then started destroying any of the things that were in the lab that could have been used in any sort of biological warfare yes. because she Get had it, found some things that could be, um, you know, weaponized, yeah. Yeah. Um, destroyed yeah. all of that. Um, and then she managed to get online, bought herself a plane ticket just in time before John turned off the internet and turned off all of the power to the compound. And he kept pacing around and around the lab, carrying a gun, trying to threaten her. Eventually, after hours and hours, she managed to arrange for some of her friends to come and collect her and they took her to a secret hiding location until it was time to take her to the airport. She got out of the country, flew back to the US, immediately reported what happened to the FBI and all the FBI could tell her was we have no jurisdiction in Belize Uh, and there's nothing we're going to be able to do about uh, that. Yeah. So (laughs) now she's made these allegations on film. Mm. And John then has some very strong counter arguments on this and he's planning to sue her for defamation. And the Mm. whole thing is really very, very messy. Um, Well, we'll just say allegedly. 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 Mm. Also, you know what is infuriating to me? That she went to the FBI and told them that she'd been assaulted and, you know, attempted to be held captive by this man and they say there's Mm. nothing we can do, there's no jurisdiction. I bet if she had told them that he had access to materials that could make biological weapons, they would have gone in there like that. Probably. Because they care more about shit like that than they do about a woman being mm. um, assaulted. But yeah. just an aside, gender dynamics as usual. The good thing is that she did get out at least yes. with her yeah. life because John just kept getting more and more wild and unpredictable. And a lot of people believe that at this time he was taking a drug called MDPV, which is one of the components in bath salts, also known as the zombie drug. Yeah, I've heard the kids did bath salts for a while and it's the Mm -hmm. thing that made them, like, eat each other's faces. Literally, yes. First time we heard about bath salts being taken as a recreational drug was when a man in Florida was found naked on the side of the road eating another man's face. Yes, okay, yeah. See, I know the kids. I know what the kids do. Yeah, So. It turned John for what, months. Sorry, what what year are we at now? What, what year? Two thousand and twelve. Oh wow! So it all happened in oh, a wow, relatively yeah. quick amount of time. Yeah, he was posting on a Russian website called Blue Light, where people go on there and share information about ways to take different drugs and explore mm-hmm. different ways to get high together and stuff. He was posting instructions for how to take this bath salt drug without um, eating people's faces. Yeah. Like, get high and don't eat a face. (laughs) (laughs) He described it as the finest drug ever conceived, not just for the indescribable hypersexuality, but also for the smooth euphoria and mild come down. As long as you don't eat a face. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he was sort of answering all these questions for people and giving all these tips on how to administer and how much to take and he was suggesting you need to take it anally and blah, 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 blah. He got caught out and, of course, he just said, oh, I was just messing with people. I've never actually taken that drug. But considering how erratically he was behaving, most people do believe that, yes, Mm. you were, buddy, yes, you were. Mm. Yeah, of course he was. 
At this point, uh, John is accused of having ordered the execution of a local guy who lived in Carmelita called David Middleton. He'd been suspected of breaking into John's compound and stealing some stuff. And so John ordered one of his employees to go hire some hitmen, give them their orders and sick them on this guy, just beat the crap out of him to teach him a lesson. Mm. Those hitmen ended up doing a lot more than just Mm. beating him up a little bit. They chased him through the jungle. They tortured him with knives and tasers Mm. for hours. They broke almost every bone in his body and then they put him on the phone to talk to John allegedly, so that John could tell him why he deserved this. Then they drove him back into Carmelita, dumped him on the street. The locals found him, rushed him to hospital, but, of course, he was close Mm. to death already and then he died shortly after he arrived there. Yikes. And then David's best friend, a guy called Eddie, found out about what had happened and so he vowed revenge and said that he wouldn't rest until he'd killed John himself. Like, I'm... I'm sorry, John insists that he was not doing drugs. This everything you are saying is just only happens in the life of a person on a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. This is just drug fueled madness. <laughs> um, MDPB, by the way, was not illegal in Belize at this time. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he was, okay. if he was taking it, he wasn't actually breaking the law. Sure. So, John found out that this guy, Eddie, had a vendetta against him. Mm-hmm. And so, he offered the guy a job. And so, Eddie <laughs> then <laughs> totally flipped and said, oh, well, yeah, if you're going to pay me, then I'll be mm. a security consultant for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, once again, money bought John the solution that he needed. Yeah. Now, throughout all of this and really throughout his entire life, really, he's done everything that he can to keep his name in the headlines. He mm. courts and media following all the time because of his narcissism. He also was trying to continue to build interest in the antibiotic business that he was looking to create. He even had a cartoonist come and live with him for a few months so that the cartoonist could then create a comic book about John's wacky, crazy life with his <laughs> seven girlfriends because he loved Yet another to another idea yeah. he came up with when he was high. <laughs> He's on drugs. Drugs, drugs, drugs. <laughs> uh, And the cartoonist, you could tell he was so uncomfortable about the mm. situation that he'd been put in because he was having to make this cartoon comic book about this skeezy guy who's got 16-year-old girlfriends. They each have their own house on his compound and he bragged so much about his massive sexual appetite as well. I mean... Yes, it might have been legal, but it was so gross and it was so manipulative that he found these girls who grew up in an incredibly poor community and then started treating them to the good life. And, you know, they developed this sort of Stockholm Syndrome Mm. type attachment to this guy. Three of the girls in one of the documentaries about John McAfee say that his um, sexual fetish was to have the girls sit in a hammock and the hammock had had a hole cut out of it, he would lie underneath the hammock so that his face was positioned underneath the hole. They would sit on the hole and then you poop. can imagine, yeah. Poop, mm. poop, poop. Mm-hmm. They would poop. And it, yeah. It, uh, it's so hard for me to say, yeah. Would he, oh. wait, would he, would he, would he, okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Was this just a tactile situation or was this a consuming situation? 
I don't know whether anything was swallowed. Oh, my God, this makes me so ill. <laughs> okay. It just but went through the hole and into and to where he was. Caught in a receptacle on his face, yes. Mm. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Drugs, drugs, drugs. He's on drugs. Mm. Now, oh of course, he's now paid all of those girls to issue a statement saying that was a lie. Of course. I don't know whether to believe it or not, but it is included in the documentary. You don't come up with, uh, allegedly, 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 but you don't come up with something that specific and weird unless it happened. That's yeah. not, you know, that's allegedly. Um, Oh, I'm interested to see if that makes it into the final edit or not. Oh, no, that's going in. That's oh. going in, my friend. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> oh, that's going in. All right. Um, then, finally, the government had had enough. They'd been hearing about the stories. They'd been seeing what was going on. Yeah. They'd, you know, caught wind of the guy who'd been murdered and dumped in the streets. Mm-hmm. And so... It, was time to raid the compound. So on the 30th of April 2012, 42 soldiers with machine guns who were part of the um, drug suppression unit yeah. turned up, surrounded the compound. They had a warrant to search the premises. And is this when he dug the ditch and hid under the cardboard? Not yet. Oh, no. okay. This time he figured that he had nothing to hide. So he walked out completely naked, carrying a pistol, thinking that he was going to fight back. And then he realised, oh, there's 42 of them with machine guns. <laughs> I'm outnumbered here. Okay. Um, plus, he could see that all of his security staff were all surrendering as well. So, he went inside, uh-huh. got dressed, came out. They told him, we've got a warrant. We're going to search the premises because we are certain that you are manufacturing drugs here and mm-hmm. we're pretty sure that it's meth. And he mm-hmm. just sort of laughed and denied it. Everyone on the property was rounded up, lined up. The soldiers were pointing guns at them while they searched the property high and low. Um, The dogs were going mental throughout this time and one of the dogs attacked one of the soldiers. So, the soldier shot the dog in front of everybody. They continued to search and all they found was a whole lot of guns, a whole lot of cash, legal Mm. prescription drugs, but they couldn't find any meth. They found some bricks of some mysterious substance that they couldn't actually identify. It was similar to cocaine and it was similar to meth, but it didn't meet the criteria of an illicit drug. And so all he ended up getting charged with was possession of one of his firearms that didn't have a license and not having a permit for the lab, but the lab had been out of operation for a little while anyway. So. He really just got off with a slap on the wrist, but because they had done that to him and in particular because they had killed his dog, Mm. he then had this massive public vendetta against them and he was trying to talk to as many media outlets as he could possibly get in touch with, telling them how corrupt the Belize government was and said that this whole thing had been done to him because he refused to pay a $2 million bribe to the people who were in power. And he said that he was certain that they weren't going to stop. He was certain that they wouldn't rest until they'd actually killed or destroyed him in some way. And so he wanted everything to be documented. So he really ramped up the um, attention grabbing from the media because he felt if he was in the spotlight, he was safe. The government Mm. couldn't execute him if he was constantly, you know, 
in the headlines. Started getting that cartoonist to keep really detailed records. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, once the cartoonist was gone, he invited a guy called Joshua Davis to come out from Wired magazine. Yeah. And the article that Joshua started writing was so intense that he ended up saying, you know what, this actually needs to be a book. So you can yeah. get the book. It's called John McAfee's Last Stand. And I'll also post a link to the article that Josh wrote. Yeah. Okay. And in the article, he perfectly encapsulates the way that John would actually treat the media because he had to make sure that he was the one in control of the narrative mm. um, and he was the one who was in control of every situation he'd ever find himself in. So on his first meeting with Joshua, he made a big show of getting out his revolver, taking all the bullets out, then putting one bullet back in, spinning the chamber, holding the gun to his head and pulling the trigger. So a one-man game of Russian roulette, essentially, just to freak Joshua out because obviously, like any normal person, he started peeing his pants. He was terrified Mm. and trying to convince John, put the gun down, put the gun down, please. And John just kept firing the trigger, firing the trigger, firing the trigger until it was clear that there wasn't actually a real live bullet Mm. in the chamber at all, but that was his way of teaching Joshua things are not always as it seem and I'm the one who's in control here. Mm, I control mm, mm. the reality that everyone around me experiences. And things just get getting crazier from that point onwards. At this time, while Josh was following him around, uh, John moved his entire entourage back to the island of San Pedro. He didn't feel safe anymore after the raid in Orange Walk. Mm. So they moved back to the island, but he took all the people who were there with him on the compound. So by this point, he had 25 armed guards and he had all the dogs and all the girlfriends. And keep in mind, he's moving back to a beachfront property where he's next door to just, you know. Regular people. Tourists. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> They've just come to chill. And some of the people were people who owned property and they'd come and spend, you know, the the US winter there in the yeah. warmth in Belize. Um, and other people were folks who were just there on their honeymoon and there's this bizarre place smack bang in the middle of the beach that's got all these guys walking around with machine guns and really aggressive dogs. So mm-hmm. it caused a bit of a stir. It disturbed the peace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of John's nearby neighbours, Greg, he was very vocal about how displeased he was, especially at the dogs, because the dogs would always harass people when they'd go out onto the beach. Yeah. He made complaints to the council. The council did nothing because John was donating so much to the police and Mm. he made complaints to John directly and John just threatened him with his guns and told him to get off his property. And so then Greg started telling people, well, I'm going to poison the dogs. If he doesn't do something to, you know, get them under control, I'm going to poison them. Um, And then we don't know whether it was him or not, but someone did indeed poison the dogs one night around midnight all Mm. the dogs started foaming at the mouth and writhing in pain was very clear that they had been baited i know it's foul i mean i can't imagine they had a very happy life which i just think is tragic for them john understandably was devastated and he went and got his guns and one by one he put the dogs out of their misery by Mm. shooting them and then once he'd finished that, he pulled himself together and vowed revenge against Greg. He mm-hmm. was absolutely certain that it had to have been Greg who did this. And then a couple of days later, Greg's housekeeper turned up to work in the morning and she found Greg dead 
in his bedroom. He'd been tasered multiple times and then he'd been shot in the back of the head at very close range. It was an execution. There were no signs of break-in or burglary. And, of course, a lot of people instantly pointed the finger at John because he'd been talking about wanting to get revenge on Greg. Mm -hmm. So this is where we now rejoin John Uh, in his ditch because the police suspect that he was the one who executed his neighbour Greg and he didn't want to face the music. Even though he says that he was completely innocent, he just Mm -hmm. believed or says that he believed that the government had such a vendetta against him that they were going to do everything they could to frame him Mm -hmm. for Greg's murder. So he got his staff to smuggle him out once the cops had left and together a handful of them went on the lam. They kept contacting the media multiple times a day went to on say the that lamb. they were- <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what that expression means. To stop from getting cheesed. <laughs> Who have you been hanging out with? Some 1930s Chicago crims. <laughs> <laughs> on the run, yes, they went on the He's run. He's on the run, yes. Yeah. Um, okay. And he was professing his innocence to the media when he'd contact mm-hmm. them, saying that he'd been framed, he believed, he had all sorts of different theories. Yeah. The government poisoned the dogs to make it look like John had a motive to kill Greg. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. the executioner had actually been inept and the executioner had been sent to kill John but accidentally got Greg instead. Mm. He Mm. even pointed the finger at his girlfriend, Amy, and said, she's Mm. just crazy enough and she loved those dogs enough that I wouldn't be surprised if she was the one who went and did it, but just kept saying, it was not me, but I can't turn myself into the authorities because if I end up in a jail in Belize, I will be killed. They will say I died in mysterious circumstances. They'll say that I choked on my own vomit or something. Mm. They want me gone. They're the ones who framed me. So he'd keep calling the news outlets from different hiding spots. He'd move to a different hiding spot every single day. Again, I just cannot believe this wasn't a bigger news story because this is like if Steve Jobs started doing this. Mm. In the US at this time, it was huge, but we did not hear about it at all. Yeah. Okay. Mm. You've got a famous tech billionaire Mm. on the run calling you from secret locations Mm -hmm. trying not to get arrested. Yeah. Like that is, imagine if Mark Zuckerberg was doing that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, And it was fascinating for the people who knew about this because the lengths that he was going to to maintain the attention, at one point a CNN reporter did fly to Belize, met with a secret operative of John's at the airport using a code word, Mm. then he was blindfolded and taken to a location where he was going to get the chance to meet with John. When Mm. John showed up, he had tried to disguise himself, in inverted commas, as an old man by putting baby powder (laughs) through his hair to make it look grey and walking with a cane and a limp. And then when he arrived, he sort of did this big surprise. It's me, if you can it believe is? it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, yeah, ludicrous. And then ultimately that addiction to attention from mm. the media became his undoing because he got a vice reporter to come and meet up with him in okay. one location where yeah. he was. And that vice reporter very quickly, too hastily, uploaded a blog post saying, 
we're with John McAfee right now, suckers, and they had a photo. Yeah. And that was a photo taken with an iPhone 4 that had all of the geo data Location, attached to geo it. stuff, yeah. Yeah, so they could figure out exactly where John was to the pinpoint. Yeah. They knew what side of the pool he was sitting on when the photo was taken. <laughs> so that was a massive screw-up and they recognised it pretty quickly and then they said, oh, lol, no, that was just a misdirect. Um, we did that on purpose. Um, uh, delete, delete, delete. Too late. The Guatemalan police were notified. They swarmed and they arrested him. The only yeah. crime that he'd committed there was he'd entered Guatemala illegally because he'd yeah. been smuggled in there on a boat. And so they said, all right, we've got to send you back to Belize because you're wanted for questioning in relation to a mm. murder there. And that was obviously the last thing that John wanted. Mm. So he needed to buy his lawyers a bit of time to come up with a plan to get him sent back to the United States instead. And so surrounded by all of these cameras from news outlets from around the world, mostly from the US, he mm. dramatically faked a heart attack. <laughs> yes. Pretended he was going numb, he was having tingles, he was short of breath, he couldn't see. And then, of course, they had to just take it at face value and rush him off to hospital. Have you and seen this the footage? A, yeah. Is it mm. amazing? Is he terrible at faking it? Uh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> Yes, I'm sure he thinks that he's a really yeah. good actor, but you'll see for yourself when you have a look at the um the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> so they took him off to hospital. On the way, he was still talking to any microphone that was thrust in his face <laughs> and he was proclaiming his innocence. And then, of course, once he was evaluated in the emergency ward, yeah. they said, you are medically fine. Yeah. Back you go. And he arrived back and figured out, well, his lawyers had just enough time to convince the court you need to extradite him to the US instead of Belize. Mm -hmm. So it was genius. It bought them enough time yeah. that he then was sent back to Florida instead of being sent to Belize. So mm -hmm. left all his girlfriends behind, all his bodyguards behind and arrived in Miami to exactly the sort of reception that he would have wished for, which was mm -hmm. hundreds of reporters and photographers who all wanted to talk to him. And he started recounting the story immediately immediately telling them how innocent he was and how he'd been framed by the world's most corrupt government. And he wasn't detained at all. He was just let loose. He landed on mm. his feet once again. He was a completely free man. Thank you, white privilege. Yeah. And he put in the hours to make sure that he reestablished himself as a tech expert once he was back in the and US. And people accepted him. Of course mm -hmm. they did. How many chances do... Privileged white men get. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Yep. <laughs> Why am I surprised? He just eased right back into yeah. wearing shirts with sleeves and talking about technology. And yes, a lot of people wanted to talk about his time in Belize and hear that crazy mm -hmm. story. But he then just made sure that he also reinserted himself as this security whiz kid mm -hmm. because it was a hot topic at the time with people mm. being very concerned about different superpowers around the world mm. um, hacking into each and other's yeah, systems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And anytime anyone would want to have a serious conversation about the allegations that had been made against him, he would just make a joke of it. He would have some really witty retorts that would just yeah. sort of make it seem like everything that he'd been... Um, 
accused of doing was just totally ridiculous. He even made his own parody videos about the stories surrounding him where he would pretend to snort bath salts and he'd have 16 women surrounding him, undressing him. That's a genius way of handling it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. If you just like, um, if you don't push back against it, if you just kind of go with it and if Mm -hmm. you just kind of accept that people are saying these things about you and laugh about it, Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes it like you're in on the joke, which then makes people think it is a joke. Yeah. Yeah. He beat them to the punchline. And some of yeah. the videos, they're actually very funny. If you want a really good laugh, I'll post a link to um, John McAfee gives instructions on how to uninstall McAfee antivirus. And in that you see funny. him lighting a cigarette with a burning $100 bill yeah. and shooting at computers in frustration with his gun. And yeah. it's actually quite funny some of the things that he says, like, oh, this is like the time I hired a Bangkok sex worker to do my taxes while I fucked my accountant. <laughs> <laughs> well, he would have hired very good comedy writers to come up with all of that for him. Oh, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was like the go-to guy to comment on anything. So remember when Ashley Madison was hacked? Mm-hmm. People yeah. wanted to hear from John McAfee. When there was a okay. Google surveillance scandal, people wanted to hear from John McAfee. Then he was the number one person yeah. to talk to about Bitcoin for a while. So because he was quite well respected and a lot of people looked up to him, whispers started to emerge that he might consider running for president of the United States. <laughs> and he and when kind is of said 2003. Well, it started in 2013, shortly after he so, got back to the US. So running for president in 2016, the year Trump Correct. won. Yeah, yep. okay. He seemed sort of like the perfect Republican candidate to a lot of people because he was mm. a white, straight, male entrepreneur who hated taxes, loved guns, and was already in the public eye. Like, mm. he ticked mm, 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 all mm. the boxes. He said at first that he had absolutely no interest in running for president, but then by 2015, he'd changed his mind and said, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm starting up my own party called the Cyber Party. Mm. And that was the plan that he had when he first entered the race. Then he realized that he had no chance of winning. And so he decided that he was going to move on over to the Libertarian Party. And he was surprisingly popular. I mean, the Libertarian Party, they are lucky if they get even close to 1% of the total popular vote across the country, but they are the third biggest party in the United States. And he was the third most popular candidate for their presidential race in their Mm. primaries. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, So, yes, he didn't actually um, end up being one of the final candidates, but all of that activity kept him in the headlines, proved that he had a lot of supporters, fed his ego. Mm. Things kept chugging along for a little while then. He moved to Portland and then in 2017, a documentary called Gringo came out Mm -hmm. and this is available on Apple TV. Highly recommend it. Um, You will have to pay for it, but it's a good watch. It was made Mm. by a documentarian called Nanette Burstein, and it really focuses on what happened in John's time in Belize. Ah. Very damning. And so when John heard about it, he claims that he's never seen it, but when he heard about it, he made it his life's purpose to just completely discredit the film. And he was talking to anyone who would listen about the fact that if you pay people, they will say whatever you want on camera down there. And that's exactly what he did. He started paying people. To go and retract what they'd said in Gringo. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, 
And so then that just caused all of this doubt and because so many of the allegations that are made in Gringo were so hard to believe anyway, it was easy then for a lot of people to go, okay, so maybe it is just a bit of an embellished semi-fictional account of what happened there. And he then just sort of continued on with his life because he'd done enough to discredit the movie. And It had got enough attention. The documentary had got enough attention that someone came forward and said, we would like to buy the rights to your story. Yeah. And so he sold that for a chunk of money. And Mm. since 2017, it's been in the works. It's a movie called King of the Jungle, which as of last year, Johnny Depp was scheduled to play John McAfee and Zac Efron was to play Joshua Davies, the guy from Wired magazine who came Uh, to spend a couple of weeks with him. And it's being made as a comedy, just as a fun romp because no one's taking these allegations seriously. It's like, oh, he's just an eccentric billionaire. He's just funny. He's just Mm -hmm. a character. Yep. None of it has stuck to him. And anytime anyone brings it up, it's just water off a duck's back. He just laughs it off and he keeps starting up more companies and getting more and more media airtime. There don't seem to be any legal consequences coming at him. You know what I want to say, Jacob? Gender (laughs) dynamics, but also and more so in this case, class dynamics, class Mm. dynamics, class dynamics. Get Mm -hmm. effed. Race dynamics as well. Race dynamics, race dynamics, mm. wealth dynamics. All of this is effed, effed, effed. Yeah. And one of the biggest indicators of overinflated ego and just unbridled white privilege is the fact that he announced on Twitter to the world, very, very proud of himself, that he has never paid taxes since 2010. He announced this in 2019. He said he believes that taxes are illegal and so he hasn't paid any for almost a decade. Mm. Now, at that point, he was staying in Cuba for a while and he'd announced his run for the 2020 presidential Uh election, which, Uh by the way, this is just a little footnote that I find hilarious. He announced he was running as president, as a libertarian, and then he realised he wasn't going to get anywhere running as president. So, he said, instead, everyone, I'm going to run for vice president. And he approached all of the other different presidential candidates (laughs) and they all said, no, thank you. We don't want you coming anywhere near us. And so, then he said, all right, no one wanted me as their veep. I'm back in the race for president. (laughs) I love it. Um, Anyway, shortly after he made that tweet saying he hasn't paid his taxes, Mm. the IRS sort of went, huh, a rich white guy who hasn't paid taxes? Ah, so they started investigating him and the... um, I think you mentioned this when you were talking about GameStop. The SEC started investigating Securities him as well. Securities and Exchange Commission, yeah. So, yeah. they're the ones in charge of, like, stocks and Wall Street yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, so, they said, we'd really like to talk to you because we think you've broken quite a few laws. And so, mm. that's when he just went, Ugh, and once again, went on the lamb. On the lamb. this is when... It was like a game of where in the world is Carmen San Diego mm-hmm. from this point because he would constantly drop little red herrings on Twitter to try to sort of lead the authorities into the wrong location where they thought he might be. Like he'd make it look like he was in Norway when he was actually in Germany and by the time mm. they'd figured out that he was in Germany, he'd already moved on. So it was very sort of 
catch me if you can. But that was all happening at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Mm. And of course, once the pandemic hit, he became a lot less mobile. Uh And he could have just laid low, but he had to stay in the public eye. He's so addicted to getting attention. And of course, the best way to stay relevant in 2020 was to be talking about COVID. Mm -hmm. So he started going on dozens and dozens of podcasts where he was talking as a conspiracy theorist about how he believed that COVID was a hoax. And he should know because he's a virus expert, don't forget. Mm -hmm. Um, He acted- Computer viruses. Yeah. Computer, computer. (laughs) Little asterisk next to the virus there. Yeah, there you go. Um, And he'd mentioned little things like he was visiting friends in Europe and then the lockdowns happened, so he was stuck. And eventually the authorities figured out, okay, he's in Spain. They isolated his location. And Mm. finally he was arrested in October 2020. (gasps) Recently? Yes. yes. October 6th he was apprehended. And since that day he has been in a Spanish jail waiting to be extradited back to the US when it's safe to do so. It's quite fresh, yeah. So was he arrested for the tax stuff? Tax evasion. Of all the things that he did, just like like Al Capone. Capone. Yes, Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tax is his undoing. Yeah. Um, And it's the one crime that he was proud of that he actually openly admitted to. Yeah. Yeah, so... He's in prison. He is still tweeting daily and his <laughs> wife is tweeting for him as Who's well. His wife? He met his third wife on the second night. So when he was sent back to the US from Guatemala, he arrived yeah. in Miami. He went out for a bender in South Beach. He mm-hmm. met a sex worker called Janice mm-hmm. and they fell in love and got married a few weeks later. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's okay. his third third wife. Good for you, Janice. Just yep, milk that for all it's worth. I'd be, oh. <laughs> you got a guy with heaps of money and now he's in prison. I hope she has access to all that money. I really mm-hmm. do. Um, I'd be interested to know Get if it, they've girl. frozen all of his assets or not. Because but he'd be smart enough to have secret assets, wouldn't Surely, he? yeah. Yeah. At any rate, she's sticking by his side. She's there in Spain with him. Um, mm-hmm. And when he's not allowed access to social media, she tweets on his behalf. Um, and go and have a look at his Twitter as well. He's started to become very sort of wise and philosophical because he's starting to realise that he's a 76-year-old man who's probably going to spend his final years in prison. Mm, yeah. Um, so consequences have he's, finally yes, caught up with I was going to say, he's finally experiencing a little thing he's not familiar with. <laughs> Consequences. Repercussions. What's that mean? Well, well, well. If it isn't the consequences of my own actions, (laughs) what is this? I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty uncomfortable about it. And one thing that I will say... He said, I, my one regret in life is that I let my past carry me instead of me carrying my past, which I just, it's, it's 50% taking responsibility and 50% saying, this is not my fault. I had an abusive father. Oh, I was going to say, what's his past? His childhood. Yeah. Oh, get effed. Mm-hmm. If, if I could do that, please come on, come mm. on now. I haven't had a harem of teenage girls in Belize. So settle down, John McAfee. <laughs> yeah. Settle down. Oh, 
Yeah. So over the next few months, I'll try to keep an eye on this and see where it yeah, goes it's a from here. Mm. Mm, it's a freshie. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the movie King of the Jungle ever actually gets made. In the meantime, like I said, I'll post a couple of links. Gringo is a full length documentary. There's also oh, a I'm really gonna good. Oh, I'm going to watch it today. Uh, yeah. There was an episode of Australian Dateline made about it, um, about the whole story back in 2013. So that's a good one. Um, And a few other really good articles I'll post as well if you're curious to do a bit of a deeper dive into Mm, mm, mm. the Mac attack, Mr. John McAfee. Wow, that is fascinating. Mm. And also just like we have kept saying, the perfect encapsulation of an example of what privilege of all kinds across the spectrum allows you to get away with mm-hmm. like just crazy just and crazy it's the classic example as well that he truly believes that he has been persecuted his entire yeah. life oh people yeah people have always tried to bring him down he has had to fight and fight and fight he has no real understanding of what it would be like oh. to truly struggle dude it's like eddie mcguire who got up yesterday at that pref press conference resigning as president of the um, uh, Collingwood AFL club after like Mm. 23 years or something because of proof of like just horrific culture of racism at the club for so Mm. many years that he ignored, allowed to continue, stood by and watched, didn't take seriously. And yesterday when he got up and resigned, he said at the press conference, you know, I'm a victim of cancel culture. Mm this is happening to me because Mm. I have become a lightning rod for vitriol is what Mm. he said. And so then you're like, you've learned, you're resigning, but you've learned nothing. Mm. You have learned not a single damn thing. Mm -hmm. Fuck straight white privilege. man. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so angry. Do not beep that F word. Let me have this one. Felix, let me have this one. She gets one profanity a year and she's spending it already. That's what I want it on. <laughs> God, I'm cranky. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't mean to angry up the blood. No, it's good though. Good. <laughs> yes, it's good. I'm just... <laughs> okay. Well, Channel the rage. We better leave it there because I've got to uh, go now pick up several pooping children. <laughs> yes. Oh, good luck with that. Um, that was awesome. Loved it. I'm going to watch Gringo. I'm psyched. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. F that guy. Okay. Mm. Um, well, I guess uh, follow us on Instagram, just the gist podcast. Email yep. us your suggestions <laughs> at just the gist podcast at gmail.com. And um, I mean, people say like and subscribe and stuff. Apparently that's important, but I don't understand or follow any of that stuff. So I don't, <laughs> it probably is important. <laughs> is it? I don't know. No. Whenever uh, I listen to other people's podcasts at the end, they say, we need you to like, we need you to subscribe, and we need you to leave a review. It's really important for ratings. It's how we, like, you know, get all our whatevers. And I'm like, oh, shit, is it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why has no one told us this? I don't know anything. <laughs> all right, anyway. Okay. Love you. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye. Listener.